My mom, who's 91, plays five musical instruments. Let's see, guitar, piccolo, flute, violin, and piano. And she's pretty good. And she's got a small group in the small town she lives at that they get together and just practice for fun every week. It's great. She you know, stays in touch with all that music stuff. When I was six, she put me into piano lessons. After a year, I was given the choice to stick with it or opt out. I decided to opt out. Looking back, I wish I would have stayed with it. It would be great to have that keyboard skill. I can find chords on a piano, but I can't read music like that. It takes me a while. <laughs> in fifth grade, I had the opportunity to play in the school band, and I started with the trumpet. But after about a day and a half, I said, yeah, I don't like that trumpet. It's not, not fun on my lips. I like the drum guys back there. I went and joined the drum section and ended up staying in the drum section all through fifth grade through high school, played first chair. You know, I knew my way around the drums pretty well. Could read the drum music pretty well. That was great. Hey, it's Tim Patterson. This is Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee for September 16th, 2019. Find me online at the following websites. TradeShowGuyBlog.com, TradeShowGuyExhibits.com, TradeShowSuccessBook.com, TradeShowSuperheroes.com, my other book, TradeShowGuyWebinars.com, TradeShowExhibitBuyersKit.com if you're looking to buy a new booth and don't know where to start. And a new one coming soon that I'll reveal here in the next few weeks. It's kind of going to be the main hub of all the online stuff. Of course, I'm on social media. Most of them are just as TradeShowGuy. So let's talk about music. Music's been a part of my life since before I could walk. Like I said, there's always been music in my house. My dad, who was a minister, turns out to have been a drummer as well in his school days. I didn't find that out until I was well into middle school. But there was this old um, marching drum that he had in the closet. And and, uh, one day he pulled it out and strapped it on and played it. And he was pretty good. I was impressed. As a kid, uh, with the Beatles and Stones and Raiders and Yardbirds and Dave Clark Five blasting through my radio and stereo system, I figured the best job of all was to be a drummer in a big-time rock band. I figured, you know, I I could be a Beatle, right? Uh, Ended up in radio instead. Radio, loved radio. I chose to play the hits on the radio instead of pursuing a life in music. They didn't stop me from playing in a bunch of bands, though, in my 20s and early 30s, schlepping drums in and out of uh, bars and nightclubs at uh, midnight or 3 a.m., in fact, I always joked at the time, the great line was, you know, if only I'd been a harmonica player, right? Not a drummer. I could just walk out with my instrument in my shirt pocket. Uh, I realized early on that the odds of catching on with a rising band that was really going places as a drummer was pretty slim. So I kept doing radio for a long time, which brings me to today's show. It's about music or more pointedly about the music industry. It's kind of in the events industry, it's it's related. It's not the events and tragedy industry, but it's peripheral to the event industry. I mean, a concert is an event. Music is often played at trade shows or used on videos played in trade show booths. So there's a, there's a connection there. And to dig into the music world, I caught up with someone that was in my world for a while in my early days in radio, Jay Gilbert. As he mentions in this week's interview, he was in high school when, through mutual friends, we met when I was working at the local Top 40 station. I think I was 21 or 22 at the time. Uh, Jay was a pretty good photographer as well, hobbyist, very good. He liked to go to rock concerts and uh, take pictures of bands. He was in a band. He had a band there for a while. So we had a lot to talk about. But we went our ways after a while. I went north to bigger radio stations in a bigger market. He went south to be a part of the music industry and has been there for decades. So lots of changes in the music industry in the past 20 or 30 years. And Jay's been there through all of it with a first 
hand look. I thought it might be fun to catch up with Jay and talk about it on this week's Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Here's how that interview went. Yeah, I appreciate you spending some time this morning. Thanks for having me, man. And we should go uh, mention to the people that get around to watching this that we actually knew each other, kind of know each other uh, still, yeah. from like 30? Oh, it was a long time ago. I was a senior in high school when I met you and used to, you know, listen to KBZY and, yep. you know, hang out at the station. And, you know, I mean, yeah, we yeah. go back a old, long old way. Old radio days and you were always carrying a camera around working at the Shutterbug. And, uh, That's right. And then you went off to do stuff. And, and we'll talk about that, about how you got there. But you're, you're in the industry of music now, recording yes. all that stuff. And I kind of went from radio to the trade show world, which uh, I've been in for 17 years. I'm in my own business now for eight oh years. Gosh. A lot of fun. Uh, time goes by, but it's great to catch up, Jay. I appreciate it. So tell yeah. me, what are you doing now? Let's just start there. Sure. Kind of kind of regress a little bit. I, I run three different businesses. Um, my main business is a company called Label Logic. Uh, my partner, Jeff Mosco, and I run it. It's label and artist services. So we basically handle label functions for management companies and labels. Um, one of our longtime clients is Doc McGee, who manages KISS and has worked with, you know, Motley Crue and Bon Jovi and everybody. Um, so we we manage either labels or label services for artists and managers. So that's label logic. I have my own personal consulting, Jay Gilbert Consulting, which is really only for passion projects. I'm working with, you know, one of my favorite bands on the planet, The Accidentals. Um, but that's <laughs> that's very few and far between. I work with this really great um, jazz label, Mac Avenue. Um, so there's that. And then on the weekends, um, I have a photo studio. Um, I do, you know, I shot Ace Fraley's last album, Rick Springfield, The Temptations. You know, I'm still doing the photography thing, but that's I'm kind of doing all of this uh, concurrently. I love that you're, you still pursue the photography thing because you've posted a few things on your Facebook page and, and uh, obviously you your passion comes through and you, you've uh, captured some great shots and it's really fun to see. So you've actually done some album covers and, and other stuff. Yeah, I've been doing it for nice. years. I mean, you yeah. remember me carrying that around yeah. as a high school kid, you know, yeah. taking pictures of concerts and I just never stopped and it went, you know, from film to digital and um, it's just a passion of mine and I've been very fortunate to work with some of my favorite artists. So you've been in the music industry for, for decades yeah. and boy, has that industry uh, among many Holy others cow. been affected by the technology of everything. I mean, radio has two movies have, but let's talk about the, the music industry and what, what kind of significant changes have you seen since you got in? What kind of really stands out the most? Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, I started off in the music business right out of high school. I worked at rising sun records in Salem, yep. Oregon, and we, we still had, uh, it was a tail end of a tracks, uh, Van Halen's diver down came out as an a track, a cassette and an album and that was the last one that i remember at, at rising sun but it's really the configurations right it went from kind of the cassette tape and a track and then you know the the vinyl album then it kind of moved into cds and that was a big deal and then it moved from cds to mp3 downloads and now it's you know 80 percent of the business right now is streaming so yep. it's really changed things a lot as far as the configuration but also just the the tools and the data since it's all based on digital i i know who's buying who's streaming who's downloading the music of my clients i know where they are i know what other artists they listen to i know how to market to them it's all of that data is helped so much as far as growing your audience i think it's interesting that the the the, the change has come along 
And what I hear about some of the streaming things, and this is just from my perspective, I don't d- dig into it, but there's for the artist, that's not been a great benefit. Is that accurate to say? Well, because they're not getting a lot of money from the streaming itself. See, well, that's kind of the, the misconception on some levels. And, and I'll just tell you the high level thing is you can make a lot of money from streaming, but a stream is not worth a download and a download is not worth an album right. you know, or a physical. There's different economics there, but I will tell you that the common misconception is that streaming services pay artists. They don't. Yeah. They never have. Download didn't pay artists, and physical never paid artists. They paid Radio never for- paid artists. Well, that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> but the, they pay the rights holder, and the rights holder is typically the label. Yeah. And there, there are some exceptions there. But there are other things in play here, like are you recouped? Is it a controlled composition? Did you write it or did you co-write it with other people? So that dilutes that pool a lot too. But I can tell you that there are many artists now that are making a lot of money with streaming music, but it doesn't pay nearly what downloads did. And, you know, the number one streaming service isn't Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer. You know, it's YouTube. That's where more people listen to their music and that pays even less than what the digital service providers pay. So it has to be part of a larger plan of, you know, touring and sync licensing and merch and all these other things. It's it's just a different music business now, Tim. It really is. You know, I remember hearing a comment. I just thought of this. It's been 10 or 15 years. I think it was Don Henley of the Eagles says, you know, we're at the top of the game. We make a lot of money. We have to fight with our lawyers to get every penny that we're due just because of the nature of the beast. That was back then. And I'm sure it's it's fragmented a million ways uh, now. So even if you are at the top of the game, you still got to know how to work with that and, and how to, yeah. to to get what you... So you talk about merchandise. I, I saw a great couple of bands last night here in Salem. X was opening up for Squeeze on their song oh, tour. Favorite bands. Oh, my God. And unbelievable. Uh, great, great show. But, you know, of course, they have merchandise. And I noticed as I'm walking out, you could buy a digital download or a CD of that night's concert. Right. And I thought, it's been a while since I've seen that. But that's got to be part of the thought process of an artist coming into... How can we monetize? How can we make a living off of just music instead of That's having right. to, you know, work at a restaurant on the weekends? Or so? Yeah, merch has really evolved, and if you yeah. really want to see where merch has gone and where it's going, look at Doc McGee and the band Kiss because they were doing kind of the download things, you know, 10, 12 years ago, where you at the end of the show you you get that flash drive with that show. The problem is downloads and mp3 files for computers are on their way out they're down 30 percent year over year Mm. you've just given somebody an errand to run so what people are finding now is that it's less about the merch and more about the experience so like around i think 2000 um my podcast um co-host uh michael brandvold brought this idea with kiss of you know a paid meet and greet And they immediately sold out of them and found that the people would come tour after tour and pay like $1,000 to get their picture taken and meet the guys and have them sign their picture from the last time. Well, now it's kind of an industry standard. But again, it's not just the paid meet and greets. There are things where, you know, you can go bowling with this artist or you can come back and be in the studio with them. There's all these experiences that you paid for that if you and I, if we could have paid to be in the studio with Queen or Cheap Trick or something, we would have sold our cars. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. We could do that, really? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, these days, there's so many experiences that you can buy as well as really high quality merch that, you know, 
that's where a lot of this revenue is being made. So a lot of the, the I guess, behind the scenes work is being done as to how can we uh, use different things? What kind of things can, can we create experiences or merchandise that has not been done before? Or can we put a twist on it? Right. That's how I'm, I'm imagining that what you're describing is what's really going on with all these bands. That and making it true to your brand. Yeah. You know, if you're an EDM artist and not a country artist, you need to know who your fans are, what they do, what they like. For example, a turntable mat. Or, you know, um, socks, believe it or not, are a really popular, you know, merch item. You know, Cheap Trick has these socks out. They're really cool. But those, you know, exactly. These turntable mats, you know, work really well in EDM because people are spinning vinyl. But if it's, you know, uh, uh, let's say urban hip hop where they're maybe doing more on the streaming side, it might not be as uh, as popular. Now, I'm just curious, with the artists that you work with, are they spread out over those various genres of music, or do you focus on on a couple? I'm just curious. They're, like, we run the gamut from everything from heavy metal, jazz, classical, singer-songwriter, artists that you've never heard of, new and developing artists that we're trying to develop and grow their audience, all the way up to some of the biggest names in the business. And we're very, very fortunate to have, you know, those clients. But you have to handle each one differently because there are three audiences when you're breaking an artist for example there's the audience that you see live so when you perform live you look out in the crowd and it's like oh well this is 35 year old females then there's the audience that you see on socials facebook twitter instagram that audience is usually a little bit younger you know and then you look at the audience that's streaming downloading and buying physical and sometimes those three audiences are totally different but you have to kind of target each one differently and then to your point it varies by genre um, because, for example, with jazz, jazz is very popular in the in the U.S. among 50-year-old white guys like us. Right. But you go in outside of the U.S. and it's really popular in U.K., France, Germany, Italy with college-age kids. So it's you can't paint everything with a broad stroke. Everything has to be very surgical and you have to kind of dig into the data. And fortunately, in a digital world, you can get that data. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen Herbie Hancock twice in the last uh, year and a half, and um, he's 80, and he's just uh, touring nonstop. Is he but you're 80? right. He's 80, and he tours nonstop, and his band uh, is just crazy. In fact, this is sort of an aside, but he's his drummer, Vinny Kaliuta, Kaliuta? Yeah. Uh, has been with him for years. I, I've, I, I can see him playing, and I can hear him, and it sounds like two drummers, but it's only one guy. I mean, that's how good he is. And he just yeah. started a podcast. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. No kidding. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's a whole, like, we're the, one of the first generations that's really seeing our rock stars age. Like, one of my yeah. clients is uh, Rick Springfield. I worked with him for 10, 15 years. He just turned 70. Yeah. And he's like Mick Jagger, man. He'll get out there and dance and play all night long, right? Gene Simmons just turned 70, you know, from Kiss. Yeah. Uh, Mick Jagger just had heart surgery, and he's still out there just killing it. It's a whole new 40. I'm telling yeah, you, there you go. <laughs> but you're right. Um, uh, we, we, yeah, David Crosby, I, he's very active on Twitter and I, and I follow him and he's always talking about the shows he's doing. And I mean, he's, he's got a new, he's got a new cannabis uh, brand out, you know, along with a few others, there's a Marley brand out. There's, so there's interesting ways that the, I know <laughs> that, uh, which is interesting in itself. That's another discussion. But some states it's legal, some it's not. It's that's right. Federal law is legal. I'm in California. Nonetheless, yeah. And here in Oregon, it, it's legal. So when when you got a, a band trying to break in and you know that they've pretty much got the chops and the music, 
what kind of things are they looking for? How do they how do they navigate that? That's got to be a, a tough thing to do because yeah. a band is you know when they're new and they're twenty three years old, uh, uh, they don't know all this stuff. Yeah, well, you know, the number one reason people don't buy your music is they either a haven't been exposed to it or b they don't know it's out, and that's marketing. How do you let people know that? Either A, that they would like you if they could try you, and then B, if they're, you're already a fan, that you've got the music out. Well, today we have socials. That's that's a pretty easy way to, to go about it. Of course, you have to pay. Yeah. Um, but there's tons of tools. We could spend hours talking about tools, but I'll tell you a couple of my, my favorite really quickly. One is called Bands in Town. So Bands in Town is this app you put on your phone and it just says, oh, Tim, you, you like Squeeze. Guess what? They're going to be in town next month. That's pretty cool. It looks at your music library, but that's not the cool thing about Bands in Town. Bands in Town allows me as a marketer to go in and say, okay, I like, um, let's say I have this band that I want to promote and grow their audience. I know that fans of these other artists would like them. So I can send an email to them for five cents an email and say, Hey, you like, you know, split ends. You might like squeeze. And that's surgical marketing. The other thing that they do is Let's say your band like Squeeze probably has 100,000 trackers on uh, bands in town. Squeeze can send a message to them for free. So that's one tool. There are many, many, many other digital tools that you can use to help grow that audience. You know, I saw the Foo Fighters twice in the last year and a half, too, which is just crazy and great, good show. I've become a big fan of those, uh, those guys oh, in the last awesome. five, yeah. five years. But, you know, there was a band that opened up the Struts, and I'd never heard of them. And I thought, okay, how do you get to the level of opening a, a tour like that? And then you got to get that tour. You got you to perform. And they yeah. did. They, they knocked me out. It took took a few songs, but I got into it. But what really killed me was when, when the lead singer came out and did the Under Pressure, the Queen, Bowie uh, uh, yeah, yeah. With with Foo Fighters, the, the lead singer came out and and I thought, man, this guy is Freddie yeah. Mercury. <laughs> yeah. Now those guys, I love that band. And but what's cool about like the Struts is they they've got it all. Meaning that if if you're an A and R guy, and we've talked to a lot of A and R guys, and you go, what do you look for in signing a band now? The first thing they say is, I look for a line around the block to come and see the band play. That's the same as it ever was. It was the same when, yeah. when I was in high school and you were in radio. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. But people look at your social footprint, right? Your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, how many followers and all of that stuff. The, the real number isn't how many followers, it's how many listeners. But these guys know how to do that. And the struts, if you look at their socials and their streaming, it's ramping up. They're they're uh, a juggernaut. They're building new fans. They're growing. And that's why you see them, you know, maybe opening as opposed to somebody else. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, uh, Dave Grohl will always uh, you know, compliment them and say, great to have him on tour. And he's mentioned him on, on his uh, on their feet as well. Oh, um, so that's so getting getting the, you know, the nod from from the band ahead of you. That's always a. Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I'm about ready to wrap it up. Maybe another question too. Label Logic is the company you've had for how long? About five years now. Yeah. Um, Label Logic is the main thing, and that's only because this new music business, a lot of these labels are contracting. They're losing people, and I'm not. This isn't a slam against labels. There's some great labels out there, but we've managed to take over and handle the label operations for artists 
uh, and giving them an option outside of the major label or indie label uh, ecosystem. Interesting. So kind of coming in like a, a, a hired marketing team or whatever. Yeah, that, that's right. A hired is. gun. They yeah. decide not to have that in-house and you provide that. A lot of companies are doing that in a lot of different areas, but that's yeah. interesting. So you're specializing. Yeah. And, and how can people find you, Jay? Label-logic.net. Um, you can go to the website and kind of see our clients and see what we do. And at the very top of the website, there's a place to sign up for your morning coffee, which is a weekly free industry trade email that curates all the stories of the day. Um, you can sign up for, for free there. Yeah, we in the green room, we talked briefly about that. I, I've been subscribing for a month or so when I finally found out you were over there at Label Logic. So uh, tell me a little bit about the story behind that that uh, newsletter. It's kind of interesting. Well, my, my friend Sean Rakowski was working for ADA, you know, which is part of the Warner Music Group. He's not there anymore, but he was. You know, they had Beggars and Sub Pop and Merge. It was just like a really cool place. Well, when he left, he started sending out emails to friends with music, like his favorite releases. Right. And I loved it. And I sent him a note one time and I said, hey, Sean, you know, why are you doing this? And he said, you know, I don't I don't want people to forget me. And, I, and the light bulb went on. It's like, OK, when I left Warner Music Group and decided to kind of do my own thing, I started sending that email like a curated look to and I got good feedback. And then just by word of mouth, it, it grew and it grew and it my favorite artists subscribe, some of my favorite managers I get emails from all over the world with people like, well, what do you think about what's going on at Spotify or the Music Modernization Act? Or what do you think about this? And we've actually gotten clients that way. So I guess my advice to your your listeners is like, if you have a passion for a certain area of the business, curate uh, a newsletter out of passion and see if you can grow an audience that way. It worked for us, but we yeah. just kind of you know fell into it. I do. I do a weekly thing every Tuesday, and you, this is coming out Friday. So uh, I think you know once a week is a good sort of metric to to do that with. It's not too often, but it's not yeah. all the time. It's not. Uh, it's not too too few uh, times a month as well. Yeah. Jay, it's been great to 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 chat great with you, and catch you, up with you. Uh, I'm in LA like once or twice a year, maybe, and uh, I don't right. know if you ever get up to the Northwest, but uh, we got to have coffee. on me, man. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, great Jay. seeing you, Tim. All right. Thanks again to Jay Gilbert of Label Logic for sharing his knowledge and insight into the music industry. Lots to learn from his perspective. Really fun and interesting conversation. All right, uh, time for this week's trade show tip. And I want to ask this question. When's the last time you did a SWOT analysis related to your trade show marketing? Uh, one of the most viewed blog posts on tradeshowguyblog.com is about the SWOT analysis. So go look it up. S-W-O-T. Strengths weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I want to quote uh, one of our, our colleagues, Tony Marino. He said in the blog post, and it made it into my book, uh, in many respects, the SWOT analysis is a report card on where a company is positioned in the competitive marketplace. Any attempt to identify the direction a company should take in the future must be grounded in an honest understanding of where that company is now. So, so take time to assess related to your trade show marketing. And part of it might be just going to the, the next show and looking around and seeing uh, what your strengths are. Uh, how, do you, how do you assess the way people view you? How do you assess the way you view your business in relation to other businesses around you? What are your weaknesses? What could you, you do better? What are your opportunities? And what are your threats? What kind of competitors do you have out there? So SWOT analysis 
is is worth taking a look at whether you hire someone outside to do a really thorough version of it or whether you just do it internally and discuss it so that you learn things about your company that maybe you hadn't noticed before strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats all right this week's one good thing is a new book i got out from roger steffens uh his it's a great story of roger i've known roger for 20 or 25 years his book is the family acid go to uh, the family acid account on instagram you'll see a lot of his pictures but this is i think his third photo book it's it's gorgeous it's uh i'm gonna put a link in here but it's got pictures he's taken in california over the years he's a brooklyn guy who grew up in brooklyn went to Vietnam, came back, and has been taking pictures since he was quite uh, young. And, well, when he got to Vietnam, he started taking pictures. But these are all the the collection of California pictures that he's taken. And it includes, if you get the special version of it, um, a sheet of blotter signed. (laughs) So... What a cool, what a cool thing. If you like photo books and you like California, you like kind of the counterculture, which is what Roger is, uh, pick up the Family Acid California. That does it for this week's trade show guy, uh, Monday morning coffee. September's rolling on. I hope you're having a good one. And join me again next week. Thanks.